1: Good
2: evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. This is a very important evening for a lot of different reasons. It's true. It marks really the benchmark as we move from polls to poultry, moving from election results to Thanksgiving plans and Thanksgiving dinner, who's going to be sitting where, depending on who voted for who, I suppose. We talk about that every year. But it's also going to be a holiday that's going to be faced, first of all, by San Diego having backslid into the purple tier. So restrictions, in a word, is what that means. That's right, Governor Newsom has pulled the emergency brake to stop the record acceleration of COVID cases, the fastest, reportedly, since the outbreak began. Now, when it comes to tiers, purple is not a good color. Yet in this context, I wear it today, as does my co-host Larry Dersham, in solidarity with those whose livelihood will be compromised by the business restrictions. Now, what does our country demotion mean for businesses? Well, in our county and in many counties across the state, it means take it outside. For establishments, thank God, that are in business in San Diego, that means milder weather, which is a blessing, not one shared across the nation, because there are some places that as we speak are experiencing freezing temperatures already, not to mention the rain, the snow, the sleet, the hail, things we rarely get, things that might be considered a luxury in the drought we normally are experiencing. So we at the very least are able to go outside. But think about it this way, not every business is something that can be translated and transformed into outdoors. And we know that because it's not just restaurants and barbershops and gyms, but there are plenty of, of people that just can't move it outside. So we're going to have to see if maybe we can get out of the purple tier sometime soon. But remember, it's all about math. And at two weeks, case rates have to exceed or not exceed the threshold of seven per 100,000 residents. It's a mathematical formula that we're going to have to see if we can beat. However, as we count COVID cases, there is a different type of counting going on across the nation, particularly in battleground states. That is counting votes. So before I kick it over to my co-host, who I think has some strong feelings on this topic, let me just start by queuing it up uh, through the press conference that we saw the other day. This is not about overturning an election. It is about correcting election results. That is what the Trump campaign and the president's lawyers are setting out to do. Just because the media let the horse out of the barn doesn't mean that it's the one America chose. I'm paraphrasing. That is what they are saying. Actually, they didn't say that. That's me. But it is one of those analogies that is very important because that's not the way all the mainstream media outlets are portraying what the Trump lawyers are trying to do. Now, these recounts, I mean, this is all fascinating to Larry and I as lawyers, but frustrating to us as voters. The court of public opinion appears to have reached a verdict. But remember, they don't judge this case. In fact, they're not even entitled to see the evidence, which is why this press conference was just a sneak preview, one that they didn't have to give. But one in which they chose to give Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, they chose to give this press conference queuing up just a a snapshot of the kind of evidence that they intend to produce in a courtroom where a judge is going to be the one who's going to try the case. So as we move from COVID to election results, Operation Warp Speed works here, too, because that's what the lawyers are going to have to do to create a case that's able to be tried and heard before that december 14th deadline and it's a matter of both merits and math in other words do they have a case do they have a lake to stand on and if the answer is yes is it the type of case that will actually change election results and larry as we think about that are we in fact headed to to civil disobedience
3: Uh, i think that's quite possible i know there's marches going on all over the place uh regarding you know the vote, and a lot of people feel like the vote was taken away from us uh, through fraud and so forth. And uh, a lot of election monkey business, I'd say. Now, that press conference with Rudy Giuliani and uh, uh, the other attorneys there, it was on Thursday just a couple of days ago, November 19th, and it laid out the evidence. They had like hundreds of sworn affidavits, and then you go to the media and they say, well, where's the evidence? Sworn affidavits, they are evidence. Plus, check this out, Dominion Voting Systems, which was designed in Venezuela uh, by, under Hugo Chavez, he wanted to design a system that would always allow him to win the elections. And from that, that was, uh, you know, somehow it got over to the United States. And guess what? In San Diego County, I checked this out on very high authority that we use in San Diego County, Dominion voting systems, which are very susceptible to being manipulated. Now, how about this? In Pennsylvania, the the legislature there was going to hold a hearing and they invited Dominion voting system executives to come in and defend themselves and say, what a great system we have. There's no chance of fraud. Well, rather than come in and testify, what they did is they went into hiding basically and they lawyered up. They got lawyers. Doesn't that feel a little suspicious?
2: You know, I heard we heard a lot of that kind of um, talk, uh, real tough talk at that press conference where all three of the lawyers spoke. Here's what people are, uh, I think, seizing on and perhaps getting lost in the weeds. That was a 90 minute fire hose of facts. Those facts were all over the place, but that's just an offer of proof, like we say in the legal field. That is not what they're going to be saying in court in that fashion. They're going to be presenting all that evidence, but in a far more structured manner so it makes more sense to the trier of fact, i.e. the judge. And that is one of the reasons why people are saying, oh, it sounds like conspiracy theory. It's just context. These lawyers are not going to go into court and have a rambling stream of consciousness, press conference type. Not that that's what it was, but what I mean by a fiber hose of facts is many people couldn't follow them. There were too many and you had to know a lot of the foundational facts in order to be able to put those in context. So not conspiracy, but context. So as we think about it that way, and that it was just a sneak preview, just an offer of proof, we have to remember there is no doubt much more. And that was simply the tip of the iceberg. If you think about it that way. You can understand why people that know much more about the evidence that's going to be presented in courts are more optimistic that it may actually be both merits and math have an impact on the outcome of the election than many of us. In fact, all of us that don't know the facts. If the facts are there, they'll prove it. If the facts aren't there, they won't prove it. The president has never said that he's not going to facilitate a smooth transfer of power if he loses in court. All he has said being a, not a lawyer, but sure a litigator, all he has said that he wants to make sure that he exhausts all legal avenues, and that's what he's doing. In fact, he has been conspicuously uh, out of the public eye over the last week, leaving the lawyering to the lawyers.
3: Exactly, and uh, that's what you need to do. And I that in that press conference, those uh, the media presence there was mostly very hostile. Whatever happened to the b They just they they report the facts, and then they let you, the subscriber to their newspaper or their TV station, decide. It seems like that's gone by the wayside. You know, uh,
2: I have a thought about that, Larry, and I, I wanted to run it past you, is, you know, you and I are both in the media world and in the legal world, and journalists have a tough job. You know, journalists have been called out for honestly not knowing exactly how court proceedings run. Why would they? They never went to law school. They're not lawyers. It is really tough as a journalist to become really a, a jack of all trades, but that's what they have to do in order to to uh, to report fairly. It's possible, you know me, I'm always giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. When I watch some of this reporting, I often wonder whether or not it's simply a good faith misunderstanding of the legal system. I know some people listening and saying, no way, it's intentional. Maybe for some people it is, but there's also some trusted journalists that perhaps are not as savvy with courtroom protocol and procedure uh, as the lawyers are, and maybe unintentionally mischaracterize the burden of proof, or even what is or isn't evidence. What say you to my theory? Yeah, no, no,
3: I think that sounds very reasonable. And I agree with everything you said, Wendy. I want to quickly jump back uh, before we go to our first break regarding this, what's happened with this purple tear a situation. I don't know if Please. you knew this or not, uh, but um, beginning, I believe it's at uh, midnight tonight. Is it th- that we're going under a curfew from ten p.m. ten p.m. to five a.m. And uh, I guess uh, if we're driving that time, uh, you know, our, our cars, our vehicles turn into a giant <laughs> COVID virus or something at 10. What is it about 10? I, I, the virus
2: becomes more virulent after 10. <laughs> exactly. PM, guess,
3: but, right? but yeah, I wonder, uh, how about this? Okay, so churches have to meet outside. Oh, but a court uh, judge here, a superior court judge in, in San Diego said strip clubs, you can go to, those are essential, by the way, strip clubs, but uh, churches, no, y- you can meet outside. Uh, it sounds it's so arbitrary for one thing. So so what about, um, you know, the civil disobedience? You're seeing marches all over. Stop the steal protests. You're seeing uh, just walk away protests and so forth. How about if we had uh, open your business protests and in protest of the double standard, we open our business. And when they come for you to cite, you say, uh, uh, this is a protest. I'm protesting that you're trying to destroy my business
2: now. Well, I, I would say, don't be the test case. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
3: okay, I agree.
2: You know the the one um, the one thing that I think really resonates with some of the businesses and along the lines of what you're talking about is the businesses have have a pretty good argument that it's not a professional irresponsibility; it's personal irresponsibility. In other words, they've done everything they can: they're masked, they're glove, they're sanitized, they're plexiglassed. It's people who are not wearing their protective gear or staying away from each other. And that's what's making the numbers rise, not the fact that businesses are not taking good care of their customers. All right, so we can continue talking about this and I'm sure we will, but I'm gonna tease up the second half just briefly. Don't push that radio preset, folks, when we return. Do any of you do yoga? When did you learn it? Elementary school? Hold that thought we'll be back in a flash. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy.
0: news cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use the headlines Streamline. it's time for more today with dr wendy now here's your host dr wendy patrick
2: good evening and welcome back to today with dr wendy i'm wendy patrick Well, we are officially moving to something a little more relevant because it's the fall and kids are going back to school. Not really back to school as much as they would like in person, but nonetheless, we are hoping and praying for a vaccine. And then before you know it, everybody will be back doing all the subjects, math and science. And do you remember the subject that some people liked the most? It was PE. Remember PE, Larry? Sure do. (laughs) we had track and volleyball and larry and i were comparing notes and we both came up with dodgeball and maybe we were just dating (laughs) ourselves i'm sure they have all sorts of more creative sports nowadays um now larry's a lifelong surfer and i'm willing to willing to bet that he didn't have surfing as one of his pe uh decisions even though he did grow up in san diego but I don't remember yoga being on the list of PE topics. Larry, I understand we have a guest that's going to tell us that times have changed.
3: We do, Wendy. I'd like to welcome to the program Jennifer Sedlock. And for 25 years, Jennifer has been a professional speaker, an author, and corporate trainer in the areas of leadership, communication, and teamwork. She also speaks for women's events in churches and coaches high school track and cross-country. As a mother of three, Jennifer found herself in the midst of a heated controversy. Starting in 2012, in the elementary schools where yoga was being taught or introduced, her family battled the school district in a trial that gained international attention. And this long legal fight has resulted in Jennifer becoming a national expert in the area of yoga instruction in our public schools and how it's impacting our children. Welcome to the program, Jennifer.
1: Oh, thank you, Larry. I think I first met you when I started going through this. Yes. (laughs) Back eight years ago.
2: So, Jennifer, I understand you're actually a mother of four because you just adopted a a new puppy?
1: Yep, yep. We got a great Pyrenees. So she's five weeks old and already 46 pounds. (laughs)
2: Oh, my goodness. You're feeding her well. Well, we, Larry and I are fascinated with this topic. You know, we often talk about the changing curriculum at different schools. What does it mean? Who who who's behind it? And is it good? Is it bad? What do we think? What do the kids think? I mean, there's we could talk forever about this topic, and I have a feeling we will be because the the curriculum d- continues to evolve in several different directions. Your topic, however, yoga in schools, that really covers three main areas: physical, spiritual, and legal issues. And I know you talk about all three. One of the things that fascinated us when we read it is, and I don't think a lot of people know this, but it had to do the the California yoga trial with religious yoga. And I, I'd love to hear what that means. Becoming mandatory in schools, replacing P.E. for the first seven years of children's schooling. Now, one thing Larry and I being let's let's just say we're over 40. OK, we're going to like leave it there. Larry. I know you're laughing. Um, when you are our age, even when you're over 30, you begin to really make sure you remain physically fit, but that's also true when you are young. And we were wondering, does yoga, we know yoga is great, especially as you get into your thirties and forties, great for balance, great for coordination, stretching, et cetera. But what about the rest of the cardiovascular activity that kids are usually involved in football, track, um, all of the kinds of things that we did when we were growing up. Um, what do you think about all this and, and how is that relevant to what you teach and the lawsuit that you were involved in?
1: Well, Wendy, you bring up, uh, you know, one of the hottest topics we had started with is that, is this really the best activity, even as just an activity for children? Because, they're already pretty limber at age five and six and seven, and and shouldn't they be out running and playing and jumping and screaming? And, you know, they've just had six hours of classroom sitting around. Why are are we going to make them sit on the floor and be quiet? Um, So, you know, just as a fundamental basic of why would we do this? And not only why would we do this, you know, twice a week taking over 60% of PE, um, but you really have to look beyond just that to see, you know, the religious nature it was it was one of the most religious yogas coming into the United States as well, Ashtanga yoga coming straight from India through an American who wanted you know, who was married to a hedge fund billionaire. Um Paul and Sonia Tudor Jones, that's how it came in. But we were the first school district to have it mandatory. So yoga has been sprinkled in all over the United States even before this happened in 2012. But 2012 was really the the first time it came in as a foundational, this is taking over two-thirds of PE for seven years So um, because our, our elementaries go to sixth grade. So that was the big part of it. And you know, to the tune of $4 million, we were paid to create curriculum to take through to the United States. So Mm -hmm. when we saw their mission statement on Joyce Foundation about Ashtanga Yoga being in every single elementary school in the United States, we said, why? Like, we just started asking why, and we followed the money, and you find a lot when you follow the money.
3: (laughs) Right. Uh, Jennifer, what is the religious aspect of it? We're, we're taught as Christians. I know not everybody of our listeners, they're, they're not all Christians, but uh, not to, and even our Jewish friends, not not to put a, a God, uh, any other idol in front of us other than God. Does this have an aspect of we're, we're basically replacing God with this uh, meditation, so to speak, or what?
1: That's a great question. And it comes out, there's lots of um, different aspects to it. But one of the things in Ashtanga yoga specifically is there's an opening sequence. And if you look at it, it, it is a sun salutations is what they call it. Um, because you see, yoga is a is all Sanskrit language. And so you ask, what is Sanskrit? And you start, you know, you just have to keep asking the questions. And Sanskrit is actually written for religious pujas, which is a whole other thing. And so yoga, the base of yoga is yoking. And so we started asking the gurus, you know, can you even separate the physical from the spiritual? And their answer is no. So we Americans think we're doing some exercise, but really what most Americans who, who start to do yoga thinking they are doing just exercise tend to fall into within a few years saying, Oh, no, it's a spiritual and a religious experience for me now. And I have to okay. do it every single morning. And, That's... and it gets to a. Go ahead. Okay, Jennifer, that,
2: that point is huge for us um, because obviously, as Christians, we understand we can do stretches and poses and things, and, and it has nothing to do with. We don't do the sun salutations. I have a lot of Christian friends that like stretching and becoming limber and doing all the rest yep. of it. They would never worship anything other than God. In fact, most religions would probably believe that you know nothing takes the place of God, whether, like Larry was saying, our Jewish friends, our Christian friends. Um, I do understand that there may be some religions that would uh, think the sun salutations could become addictive, but I know there are lots of other people that believe that yoga is a good way to stay loose and limber as we get as we get a little older. And maybe they don't even wanna call it yoga, but it's the stretching, it's the poses, it's the maintaining poses, it's the, some people like the hot yoga, but they would not participate in worshiping anyone other than God. Is there a happy medium as far as in using it in schools, that could incorporate the value of meditation, for example, Um, whether you use it to pray, to stretch, to do whatever. I I still am a big fan of of PE and and letting kids run around and be kids on the playground. But if you're going to have some aspect of of contemplative meditation, yoga of some kind, is there a way to make it non-religious?
1: Well, you know if you it depends who you ask. And when you ask the gurus and the yogis, they say there is no separating the physical and yoga from the spiritual. Um, But, you know, starting with the very definition of yoga, it's yoking to something and that something they consider is divine. So, for example, in that sun salutations, um, you know, when they're, well, let's go with something even easier. Let's say the word namaste. Most Americans, probably think that means like aloha like hello and goodbye <laughs> It does not what it means is I see the God in you, and you see the God in me when you say it back, and we're putting our hands in prayer position and bowing. That is a very significant religious thing. It's almost like if you do the sign of the cross as a Catholic, I know what that is from 50 miles away, right? And, mm. I, and I put a meaning on it. So when they're saying namaste, they are not just saying hello and goodbye. They are saying, I see the God in you. Now, Hindus believe in 220,000 gods. As a Christian, we believe in one. So there's a very big difference in the religion. And the founder of Ashtanga Yoga would say, I created yoga as this is our religion. There is no separation. And Ravi Maharaj in Death of a Guru, he is one of the people we feature on our website who talks about it so plainly because that was his religion. And he says, this is a religion. This isn't a physical exercise. You Americans think you're creating that. But what you're really doing is you are you are inviting in, uh, de- they would say, demonic presences. And so we were warned of that. The minute we filed, we filed over other issues, right? And then we had ex-yogis calling us right and left saying, you've got to get this away from the children. It's demonic. And we're like, what? are you talking about? And the more we read into it and the more we understood what happens over time, we realized it. So when, you, when a Christian asks me now, should I be doing yoga? I put it right back in their lap to say, you need to pray about it and then go to your yoga class and see what kind of warning bells you get. Amen.
2: Amen. You know, that's one of the things so, that Larry and I always stress on the show is that some things are not inherently good or evil. It's the meaning we attach to them. It's the reason we do them. It's the intention that we uh, attach to them as well. So I think this is this is great information.
1: And, and our concern is with children primarily. So right. you, as an adult, you have a choice. These children had no choice, no voice. It was mandatory. They were not allowed to opt out we had to force the opt-out and hundreds of us were battling it. And that's why it ended up leading to a lawsuit because they wouldn't let us opt out. And then once they did, they didn't give us our PE minutes, which is also illegal (laughs) to not be able. So not only is there the church versus state issue, but there was PE minutes. But really when you get down to it, I mean, we are mostly concerned with the children who, why do we put fences around schools? Because Even what the judge said, when you look at our lawsuit, and we've got every detail in it. Jennifer, we're out of time.
2: I am so sorry. This is fascinating information. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Um, We're going to wish you a happy Thanksgiving, and I really do hope that all of us can move from polls to poultry. I know Larry might be doing a peaceful pumpkin pie protest. Maybe he'll tell us about that when we get together next week. Um, But thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. Please have a wonderful, safe Thanksgiving week. And join us next week where we'll do a recap of Thanksgiving week as we move into the holidays. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. Headlines with a silver lining. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.